Welcome and thank you for coming out this evening to the second program in our three-part series, Finding Truth in the Age of Alternative Facts. Please silence your electronic devices. This program is being recorded and can be accessed on WMAY.com at the on-demand link and at the Academy of Lifelong Learning's Facebook page at llcc.edu. My name is Vina Garrett. I'm a board member and co-chair of the Tech Talk group at the Academy of Lifelong Learning. I want to thank the panelists and our moderator for giving us their time and knowledge and the Illinois State Museum staff for their support and for co-hosting this series. I also want to thank the staff and members of the Academy of Lifelong Learning at Lincolnland for their help and support in producing this series. Changes in technology have resulted in making it very difficult to find the truth in what we hear and read. Many of us could use some help and guidance in our attempts to distinguish factual content from false stories. This series aims to do that. The third part of this series, which is on November 20th, brings together print, broadcast, and online journalists to discuss methods of finding truth on the internet and in other media, as well as how technology changed the way the information is disseminated. Tonight's program continues the exploration of truth and facts in contemporary life by looking at big and little lies in everyday interactions. Each of the panelists for tonight's program was chosen because in their lines of work, they deal with fabrication and exaggeration of the truth on a regular basis. We invite you to get involved in the conversation by submitting written questions to the panel. If you have a question, raise your hand and someone will bring a card and a pencil to you. When you have written your question, raise the card and it will be picked up. Tonight our panelists are Bethany Blue, Doctor of Psychology and Licensed Clinical Professional, professional Counselor. She is Director of the UIS Counseling Center. Dr. Blue came to UIS from California where she worked in the foster care system focused on residential and community-based services. She has over 10 years experience working with trauma survivors and high-risk clients. <laughs> I just wanted to see if Carmen was in her seat, yes. <laughs> Reporting in. <laughs> Carmen Allen is uh, substituting for Lucinda Coffey tonight, who had a, a family medical emergency. Carmen Allen has a doctorate in education in community college leadership and is professor of uh, computer sciences at Lincoln Land. Carmen has taught courses in computer applications, general technology, computer coding, and systems analysis for 24 years. She is currently the principal investigator for a National Science Foundation Advanced Technology Education Grant, offering a competency-based education certificate in cybersecurity at LLCC. 
Shane Overby is a detective with the Springfield Police Department. He has been in law enforcement for 21 years and is a member of the United States Secret Service Springfield Electronic Crimes Unit. I can't spell that. <laughs> Detective Overby investigates crimes against persons specializing in hostage negotiations, cyber crimes, internet safety, computer forensics, cellular and mobile device forensics, network intrusion investigations, sex crimes, and human trafficking. Siobhan Johnson is Human Resources Manager for the Illinois Department of Veterans Affairs. Ms. Johnson has more than 30 years of human resources experience and is a certified manager of quality and organizational excellence. In addition to working for the state of Illinois, she also worked in the private sector for a nonprofit corporation and a healthcare system. David Brady, senior software engineer at Match.com, withdrew from the panel a couple of weeks ago when the Federal Trade Commission filed a lawsuit against the Match Group Incorporated for permanent injunctions, civil penalties, and other relief related to alleged fraudulent activities. Perfect panelists. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Our moderator is Jim Leach, news director and talk show host at WMAY, where he entertains listeners on the drive home with his unique blend of fiery conversation, news-making interviews, hard-hitting facts, and unbridled opinion. Jim is a multiple winner of the Illinois Broadcasters Association Silver Dome Award and the Illinois Times Reader's Choice Award. Please welcome, uh, help me in welcoming tonight's guests. Vina, thank you, and welcome again, everyone. Thank you all for being here. We're going to uh, start with our panel with a few opening remarks, and we will take them one at a time, starting on my far left, your far right. Dr. Bethany Blue? Sure. Um, so in my line of work, I deal kind of every day with people that are trying to create these perfect images of themselves, even though when they're sitting in the chair across from me, they're supposed to be very truthful and honest. Um, so I find that lying is a very complex thing for folks, right? I think a lot of times they lie to try to connect these fantasies of who they would like to be and who they could be with who they really are. Um, and there's many reasons why they do this. It might be for control, personal interest, or gain. Um, you might find that they are doing it to protect themselves or somebody else. Um, a lot of times in my line of work, people are lying for either to cover up shame or some perceived shame that might be associated with it. Um, there's also a personal bias that sometimes comes into play with lying. Um, so a lot of times we might justify reasons why we lie, right? We all lie. Um, and we might find that we're justified in doing it, but when someone else does it to us, we're very upset and we kind of forget that everybody does it. And so we can be really hurt by someone's lies. Um, 
We also hold different people to different standards. So a lot of times we think researchers aren't supposed to lie, but yet sometimes you'll find out that people falsify data and information in their studies. Um, and that can really erode you know, public trust when it comes to those things. Um, we also tend to think politicians do lie. And so a lot of times when we find that they're caught in a lie, we're not very shocked or surprised when that happens. Um, we'll even lie to ourselves sometimes. We'll lie. Um, people with addictions will tell themselves all the time, it's not that big of a deal. I don't use that often or that much, right, until they really find themselves in some really bad situations. Um, you know, there are real life consequences to lying. Um, there can be life and death situations. Um, some people lose billions of dollars in money, right? Enron was a really big deal. Um, people could lose their jobs over it too. So a lot of times when people are caught in lies, we really focus not so much on the truth coming out, but we're really hurt by the actual fact that someone lied to us, that they've broken that trust. And a lot of times that's what we're focused on. Why did you lie to me? Right, um, And so a lot of times we know that it's not so much that something's been uncovered, it's really that they violated this rule of how we all agree to treat one another. Um, and so kind of to end, I just really hope that people try to focus more on finding the truth and reinforcing it in everyday lives and not focus so much on when people are being untruthful. Um, I think that if you want more truth-telling and people to be honest with you, you have to focus and reinforce those things. Um, I really do think character and integrity are still really important. So, We've established that people, in fact, do lie, but surely zeros and ones and pixels on a screen would never lie to us. We can always rely on that, or perhaps not, Dr. Carmen Allen. Right, so even zeros and ones can be manipulated. Um, <laughs> So I'm a wonderful theme, and we have the, uh, the truth versus lie uh, kind of idea to think about. And then in the field of tech, which uh, can be used for wonderful, amazing things, we also know that it can also be used for dark and nefarious things. So what we look at in technology is maybe myth versus fact. And we can use data to support uh, a truth. Um, we know that data can be manipulated, and so part of it is trust, right, and our own observations of what might be real. So in the field of technology, which I've dealt with and I've kind of grown up with it, won't give my age, but I'm, I'm quite eligible for ALL. Thank you. I can't wait to join, Laurel. I'll be, I'm from Lincoln Land. I should be just coming seeing you all the time. Um, but, but I have grown up with technology, so I've, I've seen and I felt like I was born kind of at the right time because the history of really advanced tech has, has happened really in the last 40 years or so. Uh, the development of the web started um, full force in the mid-90s with the growth of Microsoft um, Windows 95 and the birth of the internet as far as it being used commercially. In the field of technology, it is the internet that poses many, many wonderful ways to share information, but also equally as much poses vulnerabilities to people's personal information. So there are varying topics that I, I mean, there's so much to talk about tonight and I won't uh, take too much more, but I think one of the, the things that you need to focus on is what is most important to you regarding the use of technology. So some topics we might discuss are, you know, ethical hacking, autonomous cars, you know, and the implications, myth versus fact, which is safer, a human car that's driven, uh, driven by a human or autonomous car that's not. Um, there's all kinds of questions we can ask about myth versus 
fact. And we'll use uh, at least current research and stories that we've heard about to this point to answer some of those questions. Well, people may lie to their friends or their coworkers or their spouse or even to themselves, but they probably don't want to lie to our next panelist, Detective Shane Overby, Springfield Police Department. I wish everybody took that advice. That would make my life very easy. I wouldn't have too many jobs to do. So this is very interesting. Um, I grew up in a time, I didn't grow up with having a VCR the first part of my life. Probably nobody else in here did, I hope. If not, sorry, I offended you. Uh, I grew up without a microwave, so we heated our food in the oven, right? So then what comes along? We start out with small technology, music. Then it moves forward. We get VCRs, we get movies. Then we get all of a sudden these things called downloads that we get. And then we get the internet. She talked about the internet a little bit, right? How it can spread misinformation. But we're cops. We chase people, we catch bad guys, we get bank robbers, we catch all the bad guys, right? So how do we catch up with this technology? So roughly 12 years ago, I've been an investigator for about 13 years. I've been a police officer for a little bit over 21 years. So when we started talking about technology, hey, we probably need to figure this out, right? So we started to think about it and who volunteered? Well, a lot of people volunteered, but after the first training class, two people were left. That was me and my partner. And I thought, what do we get ourselves into? So we started, she started talking a little bit about advanced technology, the zeros and ones. Well, that's a whole different world of police work, right? So we have all these, these areas of misinformation. So now it's starting to touch everybody's lives. Now we have crime growing. So roughly in 2017, statistics showed that even businesses that had your information, maybe we were looking at, I think, somewhere around 178 million intrusions. Well, we got better in 2018. We caught those but they found that people's information was vulnerable in about 448 million people throughout the United States. So that estimates about one in four people in the United States will be a victim of cybercrime. But what's cybercrime? Where are the lies? How do I catch those people? And that's what we're going to get into a little bit. Probably some of you have heard of a scam or have been a victim of a scam yourself. I deal with them every day, all different areas of life and everywhere from sex crimes to financial scams to scams of seniors, scams of young people, college entrance scams you've heard about, right? So we'll talk a little bit about that. We'll talk about some of the common scams. Again, uh, we could probably spend days and weeks up here talking about the different ways we could protect ourselves, the different scams, the different things I investigate. But we're going we're gonna to base it off your questions because I want to see what you need to know, what, you, what information you feel comfortable with tonight. We've established there are a lot of potentially negative consequences to lying, perhaps none as foreboding as being called down to human resources. Siobhan Johnson, talk about that part of it. People being called down to my office of human resources are treated to chocolate on the desk and a comfortable chair in which they can sit and talk to me about uh, their, their issues. Um, some of the issues that arise in the area of human resources are the little lies the things that we might fudge a little bit on our application, expand our dates of service for an, a company because we don't want to explain the absence. Uh, we don't want to talk about why we weren't working. We might elaborate on our educational experiences. Um, that associate's degree somehow stretches into a bachelor's degree. Um, thinking perhaps that we're not going to check, we're not going to call the references, we're not going to ask for your transcripts. Those things actually do happen. We do ask for those uh, pieces of paper. And 
then there are the people that decide, well, this position description says that the person has to be a really great communicator. They have to have excellent writing skills. Uh, so I'm going to say on, on my resume or on my application that I have excellent communication skills, both oral and written. But what I don't do as the applicant is I don't go back through my application and make sure I didn't make any punctuation or grammar errors. <laughs> um, we will catch those things quite quickly. Um, we don't think to make sure that if we're out there on social media that we're using proper grammar, that we're behaving professionally on our LinkedIn account. Those are the areas that human resources will eventually discover if those little lies become a, a problem in the workplace. You said that you had computer experience and we believed you and we hired you and now we find out that your computer experience was Facebook and words with friends. Um, <laughs> those little lies can make it a lot more costly for the, the, uh, the employer, whether that's a state agency, a private corporation, a healthcare facility, because not only do they have to work to find out the lie and then train to improve your abilities, but they may have to eventually say, well, you falsified your information and there you go, you're out the door and now we have to go back and find somebody else and perhaps learn from our previous hire to look a little bit more deeply. And that's what we find we're doing in the HR world is we're looking a little more deeply to make sure that while we're being honest about what we need, you're being honest about what you have that will be beneficial to us. We'd like to encourage you all to please write down your questions that you have for our panelists and uh, get those turned in. We'll ask those throughout the course of the uh, evening. I'd like to begin again with Dr. Blue because as we started off here, we have talked understandably about the negative consequences of lying and uh, the, the harm that it can cause. I have a theory, though, that if it weren't for uh, the ability to lie at least a little bit here and there, there'd be no more procreation because a lot of people would be going to bed angry every night. So can you talk a little bit about the, the necessity, uh, at least at times, of uh, use of this technique to sort of navigate our interpersonal relationships and, and get through the day? Sure. I think one of the main things that probably a lot of us do if we wake up in the morning and we're having a bad day or we have a headache and somebody says, hey, good morning, how you doing? I'm good, right? I think it's one of the very first things that we do. It could be a little white lie, but it does help us in a lot of ways either um, invite someone into our world in that moment or kind of keep someone away from it. And I think that um, there's many interactions throughout our day, <clears throat> excuse me, that we have to figure out, okay, in this moment, do I want to be truthful and honest or is there something that serves my personal interest better? Um, do I look nice in this dress, right? We hear that as a kind of a running ongoing joke, right? And so it depends on how much you want to get into that in the moment. Do you need to spare someone's feelings? Um, a lot of times there are personal characteristics of yourself that make it more likely that people are going to lie to you. So if you find yourself um, in a position of status or power, you might get people that will suck up to you, try to be your best friend because they know that it's in their best interest, right? Especially if you're their boss, let's say. Um, parents, right? A lot of times your kids admire you, they look up to you. You might have a very high expectations for how they behave. And so if they break something, they might lie, right? To navigate that experience a little bit because they don't want to disappoint you or let you down. Um, there could be times when, oh, if you don't want to go to bed mad, right? You just want to be, might say, oh, fine, 
whatever, I'm good with it. You win the fight, you win the argument. Like, let's just put it to rest, right? So a lot of times we lie to figure out, again, how much effort we, do we want to put into the situation that's in front of us. Is it our tendency as human beings, are we naturally wired to be trusting of others until we have a reason not to, or are we more wired to be skeptical of others until we have a reason to trust? You know, I think it's different for each person, and it's probably based on their experiences, right? How much has lying interfered with their life, um, and what has been their personal experience around it? I think that we all tend to think that there's this unspoken rule, kind of the golden rule, do unto others as you want done to you, right? And so I think we all think, like, we're not liars, I don't lie, right? But yet we all do it every day. And I think one of the examples is when someone you do catch somebody in a lie, you're extremely upset by that and you kind of want to figure out why did you lie to me, right? It's not so much, again, like I said in my opening statement about the truth that's been uncovered, it's about that process that I've been lied to. Um, and if that happens frequently to somebody, then they have lost that base of trust. But I think when we're very little, we do trust, but we start to lie at very young ages. I mean, kids do it all the time, and I think it really starts out with this kind of mysticism to see if they can manipulate the environment around them, right? Did you, did you just eat a cookie before dinner and they've got crumbs all over their mouth? Nope, right? And so I think it's a lot about when they're little, they try to see what they can get away with, but we find by the time students or kids are in college, they lie to their parents out of one every five interactions. So it just kind of progresses as we get older and we fine tune our ability to navigate our environment. And this is kind of an open question to everybody on the panel because given that and knowing that we, we've all had these experiences and we can get a little bit jaded as we get over, why do people think they can get away with some of the things that they think they can get away with in an age when so much is tracked, there's electronic records, there's cameras everywhere, there's lots of, of things, ways to catch people in a lie. Why do people still believe they can get away with the things that, that, that they attempt? And, and Detective, I want to start with you. Obviously, the motivation for why they did the crime overrides the thought process there. Uh, oftentimes, it's the people who are committing the crimes, they don't understand technology either. So what you're, the things you're talking about that are there in place to catch these people, um, some of the ways we catch them through technology and the, the methods that we use, they're not aware that they, those exist. And here's the truth about crime. The really good criminals are never caught. That's the truth. We, we catch the people who, are, who don't know what they're doing. Occasionally, a really good criminal will make a mistake and we'll catch them. But if they are really that good, especially when we're talking about technology, we will never, we will never hear their names because they are right there up with us in the level of training, sometimes way beyond where we're at. And they have just as good skill sets or better than we do. So oftentimes when they are caught, it's because they just don't know that we have that ability to catch them. But they learn quickly. Siobhan, in your experience, maybe you've dealt with, for example, someone with a workers' comp claim, but it turns out they're fine. They're, they're you know, <laughs> going out and playing volleyball on the weekends or doing whatever, even while they're saying they're too injured to work. Uh, when, when you confront those situations, what do people say about why they did it? Or, or do, do they ever even fess up to it? It's, I think it's rare that they actually fess up to it. Um, they, they believe that they can get away with it, sometimes because they have seen somebody else get away with it. In the workplace, that's what we'll find. Somebody uh, notices that one employee doesn't get called on the carpet for infractions. So they figure, well, 
I'll just go ahead and I can do the same thing and I'm not going to get caught either. Uh, for workers' comp, they may not realize that there are uh, ways in which people can be investigated. You can go out and have pictures taken of somebody working on their roof when supposedly they can't get out of a chair. Um, and they just don't think beyond their immediate environment that they're going to expose themselves and expose the lie that they've been giving. Uh, a question from the audience, and I want to uh, direct this to, uh, to Dr. Allen. Uh, member says that uh, technology is being introduced in school before basic skills uh, are developed. It seems to be hindering thought processes. Uh, social media is another whole issue and people often posture and uh, claim to be things that they're not on social media. Um, how is that affecting you know, this issue in our society and uh, is there a way to get schools and, and, and take them back from the quote the tech consumer culture? Yeah, it's really interesting because on the one hand, yes, you would say students seem to be more tech savvy. And on the other hand, I would say, well, I could counter argue that point um, because they're very familiar with how their phones work, but they can't use Microsoft Word. Um, and so the skills they're learning aren't necessarily lifelong skills. They're lifelong skills for socialization, but not for the workforce. So I think what I'm hearing is maybe an implication of you know how the socialization piece is being affected, right? So you go to dinner and you don't hear from that teenager because they're too enthralled with what they're doing with their phone. I know adults like that, do you? So it's not just young kids. <laughs> I'm gonna say this out loud, it's not just young kids. I'm seeing more adults also being really involved in their own technology and changing the way that we're socially interacting with each other. So the impact on that with education is uh, an interesting conundrum because we have faculty who will say, we're a little scared about allowing students. In fact, a lot of the K through 12s won't allow students to have their phones in the classroom at all. In our classrooms at Lincoln Land, we encourage sometimes the students to use their phones as an academic tool. Um, we can do polling. Um, we can, I, I personally use texting to communicate with my students because they will far more often look at their phone from me before they'll check an email. So how do I reach to them using their phone? So again, technology can be your best friend or your worst enemy. And it's a matter of how we manage and encourage people to use those technologies in ways that are more um, healthy, I guess I could say. If you see a friend at a table and they're using their phone and not talking to you, just ask them to put it down or ask them if they're a teenager. Yeah, That's the, what I do. The more we're devolving into that cloak of anonymity online, the more we're also sharing a, a lot about ourselves to be seen by literally anybody. And, and the more we're putting information and data out there that companies can then exploit. Um, talk, talk about that part of it because we are every day feeding this, this machine of data and information. Um, Facebook is gathering information on all of us every single day. They're making a fortune off of it and giving us nothing for the, the, uh, uh, the, the data that they're then taking and reselling. So how, uh, how does that factor into this whole notion of, of honesty and, and truthfulness in our society. Well, I think when you see pictures of people out on the web, there's no, there's no anonymous stature there at all. They're showing themselves full force. I mean, here I am in a restaurant. Here's my food I'm eating. Here's what I did. Here, I'm leaving the house. I'm going to go on vacation. 
I mean, really? I'm going to break in. Yeah, so there you go. Think like a crime criminal. Um, and so the other thing, the interesting phase that's occurring is that more people in our generation uh, are using Facebook still, and a lot of the younger people coming through just have want nothing to do with it because they're hearing about the stories of Mark Zuckerberg and the use of Facebook and how data is being used against them. So they'll use something else like Snapchat or Instagram or Pinterest. So we're seeing now a social shift with the types of social platforms that are being used. And are those people still posting pictures of themselves? Absolutely. They're, they might be using a false name. It doesn't mean they can't be tracked. Um, so again, how does that? F and so you mentioned this one thing is an interesting point. You know, uh, Facebook is using our data, and without our, they are not, they are using it with our permission. By the way, when we use it and assume, you know, um, are we paying for that that use of their app? No. Here's the thing: we don't pay for anything on the internet. It's free. It's amazing. Your taxpayer dollars paid for it originally. And so, did we pay for it? Yes, back in 19 the 1960s when it started. Um, but the, the truth is the internet is amazing because we don't pay a fee to use the internet. We are paid, we pay. You haven't seen my broadband bill. Well, there you but. go. You're paying your, your telecom companies to use it, right? Um, but, you know, there's so many prongs to this discussion. But the point is if somebody puts a personal profile out there, they can be tracked. And there's a difference between social media and something like LinkedIn, which we've talked about with HR. That is a professional presentation of a person. And so... People just have to be really careful because HR can track everything you put out there in social media. And so I tell young people, be very, very careful about what you're putting out there. You know, uh, uh, go ahead. I have a question. How many people actually read the user agreements when you sign up for something? Yeah, a couple. So the very interesting thing, I oftentimes have to serve legal process, search warrants to these companies. And when you read through their privacy policies, that's what I write my search warrants off of. So. Jim mentioned something about the advertising and Facebook and some of these other agencies. All of, does everyone here have a cell phone? So if, whether you have an Android or an iPhone, does everyone here understand you have a, an advertiser ID? Does anybody know what that is? Yeah, your device has a specific ID that when you visit certain websites or when your phone connects to certain Wi-Fi hotspots hot and whatnot, your device is giving that spot some information about you. Maybe you visit Starbucks, so Starbucks knows, I need to send advertising to that phone. So you're wondering, hey, I was just at Starbucks, and now on Facebook I've got Starbucks advertising on my Facebook. Why is that? Well, there's your answer, your phones. The devices you're using are advertising for you. They may not know your name, but they know your device. So that's how the marketing's happening. But hey, I, like, I like that, Shane. I want that advertising. <laughs> it makes the Internet free. <laughs> uh, George Orwell would be uh, a little bit uh, uh, breathtaking by that. Uh, Detective Overby, let me uh, ask you sort of the, the other side of the, the coin then. We asked about why, why people think they can get away with some of these things. The, the converse of that is there's a lot of scams that would seem pretty evidently to be scams. They're, they're not particularly sophisticated. The, uh, the, the recorded phone calls of someone with a Russian voice telling you they're from the Internal Revenue Service. And, uh, and yet, every day, people are handing over personal information in response to those kinds of calls. Why are people susceptible to that? 
I think a lot of that is an understanding. A lot of people, you get the shock value. Someone calls you and says, I'm from the IRS. You didn't pay your tax bill. We're going to send an agent to your house. So here's what you need to do. What they ask you to do oftentimes doesn't make sense. If we break it down and think about it, the government's not going to call you on the phone and tell you that an agent's coming. You're going to probably receive a letter or someone dressed in clothes like me with a badge is going to knock on your door and talk to you. But people get scared. And because of that fear, they use fear to manipulate people. Also, the, other, the online scams like that, people are, they just don't understand. When something pops up and it tells you something, most people think, well, that, that's what my computer says. It's got to be what I need to do to fix it, right? Because I, I certainly don't know how to fix it. And I don't know crimes have been committed, so I don't need to call the police and ask them, so I better call this phone number. So a lack of knowledge and fear is used a lot of the times. Uh, Dr. Blue talked about the, the fact that even as children, you might be caught with the crumbs on your face and still insist you didn't uh, take the cookies. That doesn't really end in childhood. And Javon, I'm sure you have seen this, where people can get busted red-handed, uh, having done something wrong at work, and still don't want to fess up to it. Why, why are we conditioned, it seems a lot of us are conditioned to, to do that rather than just saying, you know what, I screwed up, I made a mistake, I did something wrong, and I'll try to do better next time. But it seems like there is, and, and maybe your experience is different, but there is a tendency to try to cover up or explain away or not take responsibility for those things rather than just to own them. Well, I, we do find that there are employees that will... Um, they will give you every excuse under the sun and explanation as to why, no, they didn't do what is obvious that they did. And it's probably goes a little bit to what Bethany hears about. Um, people are, they're trying to save face or they're trying to demonstrate that, no, you misunderstood what I did and therefore I'm right and you're wrong. Or I didn't, I never received the memo that said we weren't allowed to do thus and such. So, therefore, it's not my fault, it's not my problem, I didn't do it, it's yours. It's, a, it's pointing the finger back at somebody else. Um, and I think a lot of the people that I've encountered over the years that have that response, it's mostly the, the face-saving, the, they don't want to be embarrassed, they don't want to admit it. That embarrassment, just like the person who is scammed um, and falls for the scam on the phone, doesn't want to admit that they fell for it. I've had uh, people, both employees and, and friends, who have fallen for the scam, and they're embarrassed. They don't want anybody to know, and so they won't go for help. Um, if somebody breaks a rule at work and they're embarrassed by it, they won't come and tell us about it because they're afraid of the consequences, even if it's just that somebody's going to think that they weren't real bright. Open question to the panel, and this one really cuts to the chase. When someone lies to you, the question arises, how do you know if or when they are telling the truth? Are there ways to verify? Shifty eyes, shifty eyes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, sure, I'm sure body language comes into it. but uh... Well, there's lots of things, and I'm sure the detectives probably got more of them, about what you're looking for when someone's lying to you. And I think we know those global things of if they're looking up or down or if they're moving when you ask them a question. Um, and sometimes they talk about looking for some clusters of those behaviors, like if they, you know, if they're telling you a lie, you know, if they're smiling, it's about their eyes. Look at their eyes, because you can't fake your crow's feet, right? But you can fake the smile. Um, I know there's a thing that they call duping delight, which is 
the process in your brain of like getting away with something, you, you leak this little smile before you realize, oh gosh, I shouldn't be smiling. Like this is supposed to be something <laughs> bad I'm talking about. Um, a lot of times in my profession, we're looking for someone who's telling a story who's got emotion that doesn't match what they're telling me. So a lot of times I'm cross-checking, what's the information they're telling me? Are they telling me some horrific experience they had, but yet they're laughing and giggling? Are they telling me a happy story, but yet they're crying through the whole thing? So I'm constantly looking for that match up. I think what becomes really hard is once you've realized someone's being dishonest with you, is how you rebuild that trust and moving forward, how do you relearn to trust them, right? How do you repair that rupture in your relationship? I think a lot of times moving forward we can be extremely paranoid and sometimes just cut ties with whoever that person is because we feel like we can no longer trust them. Um, and I think that becomes the real difficult part is that how do I know when I can trust them moving forward? One of the things, Jim, that um, we realize in, in HR is that when you're interviewing somebody for a position, some of those fidgets and those, those mannerisms that most often maybe Bethany or uh, Shane will, will look for, could just be attributed to the nervousness of an interview, um, the, the fear that they're going to say something wrong and they're going to get their words mixed up and they're not going to come across and they're, so they're not going to get the job. So we have to, in the HR world, really step back from the visual cues and look more at the details that they've put forward in writing to us. So we, we kind of have to balance that out because obviously if somebody is being really shifty when they're answering your question, that's a, that's a clue, but at the same time, it could just be the environment that they're in at that time. I was going to mention we've uh, our biggest lie tellers are the students who are trying to make excuses for not completing work on time. So there have been a lot of deaths in the family. Um, and so we do a lot of fact checking. I mean, that's just the best way. You know, we, we want to give the student the benefit of the doubt always first. And But when, when these excuses are repetitive, that's another signal. Uh, students don't know that we talk to each other. So in one class, a grandmother died. In another class, the uncle died. And then we ask for obituaries, and there aren't any, you know. And so when students are flat out faced with that, then we just, we have to say, look, we're not finding, we don't usually ask for evidence, right? It, it, but I think fact checking is clearly one really quick way. And if you're in a family scenario, you can do that too. And I, I'm sure the detective has other ways of determining truth. What, what might those be? A steely-eyed gaze, perhaps? Or... <laughs> I have ways. <laughs> well, the most interesting thing is we all think we're good at telling when someone's a lie. Uh, I've been through a lot of training about lie detection, about interviewing people. The truth is we are not good at when, telling, when people are telling lies. A lot of times if we know someone intimately, we know someone personally, we can tell something's not right. So we can tell, you go home, you ask you know, your loved one, what's wrong? Nothing. Well, something's wrong, I can tell. I've spent enough time around you. However, when we do an interview with someone, when we spend time with someone for 10 or 15 minutes or an hour, and we, we start to talk to that person, we don't know that person yet. So normally what I do, how do I know someone's lying? Here's a good clue for me. Number one, they can tell the same story within the, the first 30 seconds. This is no lie. I did an interview last week. We interviewed this guy who was trying to cover for his cousin. His cousin did something horrible, beat up a woman, horrible. And 
within 30 seconds, he couldn't even tell me the same story for what happened from day to day. That's a clue. So that's a good clue. But here's the thing I will tell you. Don't get caught up on what people's eyes are doing with their hand. I've seen so many things about facial expressions and microfacial expressions and their eyes went here, their eyes went there. What if they're from a different culture? How do they look at you? How do they talk to you? How were they raised? Did they come from uh, an abusive family? Did they come from a family where the people smile all the time no matter what? Did they come from a, a family? So I don't, I don't get caught up in that. In the younger parts of my career, I went through all these training. I'm like, oh, he's looking left. Yes. <laughs> and then I started to realize as I became a grown man, I just spent 20 minutes with this person. I can't tell you if he's lying. That's not true. So I, I have a conversation with people. I have a baseline. If you've ever, if you, uh, well, you've probably never seen my interviews. So that's a good thing. <laughs> but if you were to see my interview techniques, I'm not very aggressive. I don't yell at people. I have a conversation with someone. I just have a conversation. I get more of, out of having a conversation from someone than I do yelling and screaming at someone. Nothing gets accomplished that way. So I get a baseline. I get a conversation. When you and I start having a conversation and we talk, then we get to know each other intimately. That's the problem with everything we're talking about here, technology. Everybody's a profile. Everybody is online. Our children are growing up. Their friends are a digital signal on a screen with a name. So we talk about those things. We don't have those interpersonal relationships anymore. When I grew up, we all went outside and played. The neighbors got together. We sat on our porches. We talked. It's very hard to hurt someone when you know people face to face, but when they're a profile on a screen or an electronic pulse, they don't mean anything to you. So what I do is I start that relationship right there in the interview room. I talk to somebody. I listen to what they have to say. When I say listen, that means a lot of things to a lot of people, but there's, there's a skill set called active listening that, that has been lost in, in, in conversation with people. And so I start active listening. Uh, in my bio, you heard that I'm a hostage negotiator. That's probably one of my best valuable skill sets. I talk to people. I talk to people who are suffering trauma, who are in a, have had, a lot of times good people who've had a bad day. When I talk to people who've committed a crime, good person made a bad choice and had a bad day. So we have a conversation. So how do I gauge if they're lying? That's the question, right? The truth will remain the same consistently front, back, forward to back, middle to front, it'll remain consistent. When the truth can't remain consistent, that, that spot will glare in that conversation with that person. And I'll revisit it and we'll, we'll either get over that or we won't get over that. And then I disprove everything by the facts that you can check. And thanks to the digital world, we can check a lot of things. Your location, all kinds of things we can check on you. So that's, do, uh, that's my world. Do lie detectors work? Very good question, Jim. I will tell you with certainty, in my experience, a lie detector, I'm scared to death of a lie detector. One of my very good friends is a lie detector examiner. He works for the Secret Service. One of the best interviews I've ever, interviewers I've ever met in my life. He, most people confessed to him before they even walked in and got hooked up to the machine. But here's how a lie detector works, and I'll let you all decide. Before he even asks you any major questions about the crime to prove to you that it works, he tells you to pick a number between 1 and 10 in your head, write it down, fold it up. He puts those numbers on the wall, and he, he goes through those numbers and asks you which one is the number, and you're supposed to say no to every one of them. And then when you're done, he looks at the results of the machine, he tells you the number you picked. He was never wrong. So you decide. <laughs> 
If that's the case, why can't we get some for home use then? You can. It's, it's illegal. <laughs> no, it's not. You threaten to take away their cell phone, they'll tell you anything. <laughs> I, I want to go to the uh, issue of myth versus fact uh, that you were talking about, Dr. Allen, because sometimes uh, it's not so much that we're overtly lying, it's just that we convince ourselves of things, uh, even sometimes in the face of evidence to the contrary, we'll, we'll convince ourselves of it. You brought up the example of autonomous vehicles. Uh, is it safer to have a human being driving a car versus a machine driving a car? My gut's telling me that I'd rather have a person there who can react and judge as opposed to having something that doesn't have anybody there in the driver's seat controlling things. I suspect reality is probably different, but, but my gut is not going to be denied in my, in my own head. So uh, talk about that and how that all works in this. I think it's a control issue. <laughs> <laughs> um, we do want to be in control of our environments, right? And I think it's a matter of time uh, before manufacturers like Tesla and other autonomous cars and truck designers uh, can prove in maybe a controlled environment that an autonomous car c can, in fact, be safer. Um, I'll give you another historical example of myth versus fact. I don't know if you remember when cars were invented, but that was in the early 1900s, and we had a lot of horses and buggies and just horses. And so the, the ultimate test was horse versus machine. And this is how we still to this day measure uh, horsepower, right? Is this car, how many, how many horsepowers does it have compared to this horse? But we found eventually that a car could move faster than a horse, and that was mind-blowing. How could a machine go faster than a horse. Today's conversation is how can a machine that drives on its own be safer than a car that I drive? And the reality is there's some facts that are going to be interesting for us to watch in the next 10 years because it's going to happen quickly. Um, it's going to be tested in major cities first. It's going to be tested in our truck driving next. Um, there are already plans to make this happen. And so the question is can we have a, a network of cars and vehicles with eight or nine cameras sitting on the hood and on the sides and all that being able to predict an accident more quickly than a human can? Um, if you look at the statistics for driving, we don't do so well. You know, we really don't. It's one of the most, I hate to scare you all as you get into your cars tonight, but it's not one of the safer areas for us to be in. Okay, and I think most of us kind of know that, but we don't want to deal with that. And if we knew that the vehicles that were on the road, and I'm not saying they are at this point, I'm just saying time will tell um, if they indeed are going to be safer for us. And I'll tell you another thing is that they may actually be more convenient for many, many people. We have folks that just can't drive. And, if, and, and, and maybe don't trust an Uber driver or a Lyft driver or a taxi. Well, this is one of the best solutions for that. And so it'll be, I think my answer to that question is time will tell, let the facts determine that. But please be sure and check what's happening now with human driving and especially motorcycles compared to a self-driven vehicle, you know, with an autonomous vehicle, they're saying. Audience member asks, do you think there's a, a significant amount of lying under oath? What does a guilty person have to lose? And this really is applicable to all of you. When people's backs are against the wall, why not lie? When you're already facing a crime and it's that egregious, lying under oath is just one smaller little check mark, really, honestly. So, yes, people lie under oath all the time, especially to Congress, because... It, you can watch, uh, if you watch any congressional hearing, 
I sometimes watch and turn the volume down just to watch people's reaction because it's very fun to do that, to see. And you can get an idea of what people are thinking and, and what they're doing. It's really fun. If you've never done this before, watch something like, like a hearing that you're not interested in and watch people's facial reactions. Watch the people in the back. Watch the people asking the question. Watch the people answering those questions. It'll give you a good indication. Most people, when they're under pressure, yes, they might do things, but some people especially if they're under fire from the Congress, will do some really weird things when they're that nervous, like take a thousand drinks of water within a second. Just, <laughs> my, my water can come up here and stay here until I'm done. It's fine. But really weird things will happen. Um, but why not lie under oath? If you're already in that much trouble while you're there, what's the difference to them, honestly? Since you've uh, brought up Congress, you've opened the door to politics now. We have sure. a couple of questions oh, no. along Here those lines. Oh, no. Here we go. Uh, Let's do it. And without getting into too much detail, we have several questions along the lines of essentially uh, it does seem like there is a lot of dishonesty prevalent in our public discourse these days and that that dishonesty is, is often not only not punished, it can be rewarded uh, and, and applauded. Uh, and so the, the question becomes, how, how does that impact us in society? How does that shape our, uh, our faith in our institutions and our interactions with each other? Uh, Dr. Blue, can I start with you on that? Sure. I, I think it creates a, a society where we don't know who to believe anymore, right? Um, when we have our president who seemingly lies consistently on an everyday basis and it's fact-checked and it's thrown back to him to say, yeah, we checked this and it's clearly not true, yeah, well, whatever. Um, I think just that discounting of the fact, again, that there's this rule that we're to be honest with one another, especially in that highest role in our government. Um, and so I think it can erode confidence in our, like you said, in our everyday interactions. We start to um, distrust people in general. Um, it can create a sense of paranoia in our um, lives and especially as we look to higher administrators um, it can really create this dishonesty in the quote-unquote system um, if the people that we have elected at those highest offices choose to just disregard honesty and to seem to have a lack of trust in general um, and seem to not care when they're called out on it or when they're face to face with the fact that um, it's very clear that they have committed a lie. Um, I think it has really deep and probably very long-lasting implications for us. I think at the core of it, it just affects all trust relationships. And it actually changes kind of the cultural acceptance of, of, and a moral compass of what we believe to be real. I mean, I think most of us are raised with the concept of the golden rule. And, um, and when you hear conflicting viewpoints and you don't know who to believe, then where's your moral compass? You don't know who to trust. And so it, it affects not just our, you know, uh, it, if anyone's a skeptical of politics previously, they can be doubly skeptical now because you hear especially young people saying, I'm not interested in politics because why should I be? And these are not even swing voters. These are non-voters. They won't vote because they don't know who to believe. And it's a very scary thing. So if we're not going to, if we're going to just use words as our only source of evidence and not check any facts at all, and also further, we can take this a step further, how do you believe what the press is saying, right? How do you believe that? So it's, it's a big question mark for all of us, I think, right now, to figure out who do we trust. And it's pretty scary. Do we want the truth? Ask yourself that yes, question. I do. You do. 
So if we, our economy is bad and our, everything is going wrong, we're getting ready to get into a fight with Syria. The guy comes out, man, we're going to get the hell bombed out of us. We're not making any money. We're losing money. China's taking all of our money. We don't want to hear that. No one's going to like that guy anymore if he comes out and he tells you exactly the truth. When things are going bad, everything's fine. What we're doing, we're sending forces here. We're reinforcing our military, our military justice here. We're, we're supporting our country. But when the truth comes out, if they say the truth, it scares people. And people don't want to hear that. So we hire, I think sometimes when we elect people, we hire the best liars. They come out, they smile, they tell us their plans. When the truth is we all know without a vote from everybody involved, they can't make that plan happen. So I think we've, we've come to the point where, she said, young voters just think, my vote doesn't matter anyway. What's the difference? When we have electoral colleges and we see, well, electoral college, they won here, but this person won here, but we're going to be elected. To them, it's just all nonsense at this point. Why? Because... Yes, it's not just politics, too. We see this in yes. the corporate world. We see it Absolutely. in entertainment. People that we have faith in, that we admire, and then it turns out they've been uh, exploiting their position, their authority for their, for their own, whether it's financial gain or to get the upper hand on someone. Uh, Siobhan, what does that do in a workplace when, when that situation unfolds, uh, and, and how, how does it change the atmosphere uh, among others when they see that happening in their own midst? Well, when they say it happening in their own midst, they can either become very discouraged and uh, we find that they'll maybe move on. If they, if they don't like the environment that they're in, they'll look for a different area to work in, a different company, a different agency. Um, we don't want that to happen. What we want to have happen from a human resources perspective is we want logical consequences. Um, you know, what, think of what the world would be like if there were logical consequences for some of the things that are happening these days. Uh, from my perspective, I spoke with somebody just today about how they should not be taking on the work of other people just because those people say, I forgot, or I don't want to do it, or I don't know how to do it. It's a matter of taking those little truths and the little lies and figuring out what's the best for the environment that we're in for getting the work done that we're supposed to be getting done. Um, and that is holding people accountable for what is supposed to be done um, and giving them logical consequences. If we gave logical consequences to the politicians and everybody else, I'd, I don't know that we'd have anybody in office. <laughs> well, we, just, we would quit voting. <laughs> Along the lines of holding people accountable, this next question, I'm a little hesitant to name the specific company that the, the questioner uh, points to. Uh, they have been known to send out... Uh, solicitations by mail, they run TV ads and things, there's a sweepstakes involved, I'm not going to mention them by name so I don't get sued, but they describe them as, quote, such a scam, why are they allowed to operate? And, and I guess this, this does get to a question of, there, there are things out there that, that seem wrong to us, that seem deceptive to us, and yet they're out there operating pretty openly and little or nothing is really done about it. Is that just the price we pay to live in a free society where we have to be vigilant against this all the time because people will use any loophole they can to get an advantage? Anyone? So he's talking about the thing that rhymes with wearing, wearing chouse. <laughs> it rhymes with that. He said it, I didn't. So accountability for, for a lot of these things. So 
I think we've grown up with that, right? We've grown up with these sweepstakes companies. They're offering something. We are buying into the hope. We're buying into that. Does it make any sense? No. Playing the lottery, you know, everybody's like, yes, I play the lottery, right? But if you look at your statistics, logically, it doesn't make any any sense, right, to play the lottery. Uh, the statistics are out there for all these places. You're welcome to look. Everybody's welcome to look, especially everything's out there on the net, right? You can look at how many people win, what the what the statistics are, and your chances. People still play. People still play the lottery. The difference is, is one is usually state-sponsored, one's a private entity. Should something happen? Absolutely something should happen. But I think it's what our societal norms are. We've come to accept that. We've come to accept just like any major retailer as a society, a certain amount of loss and a certain amount of, of lies and a certain amount of mistruths and somewhere in between we've come to that we're okay. Yeah, so this isn't really a new topic either. I'm sorry, did I interrupt no, you? Um, you know, how long have snake oil salesmen been around? I mean, you know, we, and I don't want everyone to walk away tonight being completely discouraged. The reality is we do have common sense and we should use it. So let's start there, right? It's the least common of the senses. <laughs> That's I was uncommon. trying to be positive. <laughs> but in any case, you know, some of us may have more than others, right? So use your brain and find out, you know, even in, I got to point out something else I just realized and, and and it's to the point of the panel as well that we have politics everywhere, even in our own families in the workplace. People are always positioning, right, to get what they want. So again, it's not like it's brand like a news broadcast. This isn't news to all of you. Just use your your brain. How about that? Instead of common sense, will that work? Okay. I was just going to kind of reiterate that that we all want something and we're willing to give lots for it. And you just have to know yourself. What are you kind of pining for or wanting, right? Cuz that's what makes us sometimes an easy target. Do we all want more money? Yes, but are we going to find a legitimate way to do it? Are we going to play lotto? Are we going to, you know, enter these sweepstakes? Um, we could all want to be better wives, husbands, whatever it is. And there's going to be somebody out there that wants to take advantage of that. So you really do have to know yourself and be aware of when someone's trying to take advantage of you and take advantage of that need, right, for us all to be better. Now, I was an English major. Even I will have to break out my thesaurus for this next question. Um, they ask, please discuss lying versus confabulation in relation to self-presentation. So I, I guess what they're getting at here is if someone's just engaged in a little self-aggrandizement, a, a little puffery about themselves, it may not be a lie. In fact, they may firmly believe what they're telling you, but it may also not be the, the entire truth. So... How do we factor in the, the propriety of that? Well, that's perfect for you. That's perfect for you. <laughs> There's a lot of confabulation that goes on uh, when people are applying for interviewing for jobs and taking them on. And then actually when they are doing the work, um, they, will, they will be too busy to answer the question and point you to somebody else because they are so important that they can't answer your question. You really need to go down the hall and ask the person that sits down there because they're they're much too busy. They've got all of these projects to do. When in fact, they don't really have the project to do. They're just trying to make themselves seem much more important. Um, and we find out whether or not they know what they're talking about by simply sitting down and talking to them, much like you talked about, Shane. Um, 
when I have an issue with an employee, uh, bring them into the office and just start having that conversation and, and start asking the little questions and then drilling deeper and deeper. Um, in an interview situation, if somebody says, well, I, I supervised uh, 25 people, and then you, you, so you ask for the detail on those 25 people and what did they do and, and what were you able to help them with as their supervisor and then keep drilling down in the questions and not intending to deflate them at all but to help you understand the difference between how they think of themselves and what they may have uh, decided they're really all about and what the truth is somewhere usually in between. Uh, does anyone else wish to, to weigh in on lying versus confabulation, which is a fantastic word that I'm going to put into my vocabulary more often <laughs> I'm now. start using that from now on. Um, to me, it's a little bit of like, how important is it to you, right? Um, if it's someone's you know shaving five pounds off how much they say they weigh, is that really important, right? Um, so I think it's, there's some on the other side of how much does it really mean in our in our interaction in that moment if it's somebody who's at work and it's causing issue right then you might want to dig into it a little bit um, but if someone's just puffing up their chest or trying to make themselves look good I think we all do that from time to time mm -hmm. so again I think you kind of got to judge um, how much is it affecting the people around you and you in particular um, and then figure out if it's worth kind of going after it or not I was just going to add something we haven't really chatted about yet, and that is uh, kind of the mental well-being of the person whose kind of grandiose ideas are not particularly dealing with reality. And there's that element, too, which I think occurs far less often. You know, But I've seen it in the workplace. I've seen people flat out lie, but it is their reality of that lie. You know, I have done all these amazing things. Look how amazing I am. And it's like, wow, I haven't seen that. Um, and, you know, again, we see this not just in the workplace, right? We see it with family members and people on TV and the entertainment industry. It's like, I'm amazing, you know? Um, and so it is a way, I think, uh, you have to kind of weigh in what you know about that person and what they're trying to accomplish by doing that. And again, look at the facts. Let the facts speak for themselves. I'm a big fact checker myself. Next question, this is an interesting premise. It seems that our ancestors were more honest than we are. What does this say about our society, and will this trend continue? I mean, certainly we had Washington Lincoln back in the day, so you could certainly make the argument. Uh, and it seems like we had more faith in our institutions uh, a generation or two or three ago. So it, it, I don't know if that is evidence of uh, Shane Overby shaking his head no. You, you, don't, you don't believe that we are more honest than our predecessors Absolute, or less honest? Absolutely not. There's no way we can fact check now. That's the difference. We catch people lying easier now. Uh, you know, 200 years ago, if you said that I was the president of this whatever corporation here, no one's going to travel 300 miles to check. They can't make a phone call. It would have taken you how many months to go that far to even check just to ride back that many months to say he was lying. We can do that on a keyboard now in seconds, right? So I don't know that they were more honest. I think they were perceived that way because they were caught lying less. Can I ask you a question? I think it's harder to commit a crime now. True or false? Don't lie to me. Uh, <laughs> it depends on what crime. Honestly, it depends on what crime it, it is. Crime. Technologic, 
tech, uh, tech crimes, it's hard. It's what getting about a murder. Let's go to murder. Murder, yeah. So murder, it's a little bit harder because we have advancement in not only uh, computer forensic, digital forensics, because I get called in to work on every homicide for some type of digital forensics, whether it's someone's cell phone, whether it's a computer, their car GPS system, no matter what it is. But let's talk about the physical forensics. I can talk about that a little bit too. My, my wife is a crime scene detective. So she collects evidence. We have so much advancement in technology and crimes and matching people's DNA and just traces of a person being there that to commit a physical crime like that is very difficult. Now, tech crimes, as we advance, so do they. Yeah, we so. haven't quite caught up, have we? My Not point so is, much. my point is, I think it's it would it would have been easier to lie about committing murder back in the day than it would be today. Um, not only that, but you were talking about individual things that those people own. If you aren't watching cold case files, you need to start. It's fascinating. They can track you on the road, you know. And then uh, I saw a case the other day where a uh, public transit bus. Uh, they were able to track a car and its pattern, and they took a picture of the car and then found that it had one of those uh, iPass things in the window. They tracked the iPass window thing back to the rental car place. They found the person that way. So the other piece of this that you need to be aware of is that cameras are everywhere, and that's another reason it's much harder, I think, for people to commit crimes, at least lie about, not you know, to lie about them. The, um, the flip side of that is that it's also becoming easier to very convincingly fake evidence to to point people in a different direction. There's a lot of talk these days about so-called deep fakes and their videos where you can Im impose somebody else's head on, on a different body doing something that the original person wasn't doing to the naked eye it looks absolutely real and it, and it looks like that person is maybe caught in a compromising situation. And, and maybe, Detective, you can address this. How, how will that change police work for you when you are going to be encountering evidence that might look convincing but might actually be faked? That's a very good question, but uh, there, there's a process about getting too technical on you. There's a process. Uh, every image uh, has something called, it's almost like a serial number. It's called a hash value. When we have the original image of something, we can tell if there's been any modifications. If we have the original image, where it came from, and I have other tools and software that can tell me if that original image has been modified. So things like that, initially, if it's online, someone's Facebook page, no, you're not going to know the difference. But when you get into the, uh, the nuts and bolts of what, what we do for forensics, and I know uh, you'll understand quite a bit, when you have an original of something, when that original is changed, even one little pixel in a picture, we can tell you it changed. The concern, the concern I have about that, and this is where tech and crime detection has to catch up, is that you're absolutely right, Jim, that we have the capability now, and internationally there's a capability of someone faking an entire video with someone else's face on it. There are no, there are no laws in place, as I know of, right now that prevent that from happening. So while they can be detected as fakes, what if they're broadcast on TV? Now the public is being affected by that. So here we are again, you know, kind of blemishing what we would perceive as the public trust, that when you, we, we all make an assumption. When we see something on TV, we believe that is the person that is talking. Uh, that reality may very well change in the next several years, and we need to be aware of it. Tying into that, a question here, are there strategies to distinguish between factual errors in a news article, and that certainly does happen, reporters are human, they make mistakes, versus deliberate misinformation or malinformation that poisons public trust? And they said this applies both to the news industry and to politicians. 
people get things wrong, and it's not necessarily always malicious. It is just an error. Uh, but then sometimes there's a belief that there's uh, people are deliberately getting things wrong, deliberately trying to deceive the public. And for the consumer at home, how do you tell the difference, or is there a difference in based upon what the end product is for you? I think a lot of times it, it's almost the way in which they confess, right? So I think that if somebody makes an honest mistake, they're going to come out and say, I made an honest mistake. I think if someone was malicious and intentionally trying to um, lie, whether through whatever source, I think there is almost a continuation of that lie. They try to backtrack. They try to make up other reasons for why the mistake happened or why they were intentional about it. It's not really a mistake, right? Um, but I think you can kind of see it like through the footprints and sand. Like it's it's how they're going to come out and own up to it. Um, is really how you'll know it's a true and honest mistake. I think if someone tries and attempts to cover up or deflect responsibility, blame others for it, oh, the printer must have done that, that's not what I really wrote. Um, I think that's where you'll see the difference between understanding if it was intentional or if it was a true and honest mistake. I would speak to consumerism, I think, is one of the worst lies of all. I mean, you know, look at how brands are being presented on TV and to children and to senior citizens. And, you know, branding is, like I said, they're going to make a product look as, as great as it can be before you buy it. Um, I'm really amazed by the, and this is kind of off topic a little bit, all the various names for pharmaceutical drugs. I mean, they, they have multiple, you know, syllables and... Uh, so advertising is the best form of lying because they're going to make a cereal bowl look better than it's ever looked. Um, so here we are, consumers. Uh, are we going to, in our minds, say, well, when I poured the cereal, it didn't look like that? Um, yeah, there's your fact check, right? It's a visual thing. <laughs> it's not hard. And so sometimes, I think my point is this also, is that sometimes we don't know the truth for a period of time, right? And we don't know the impact of something that is being misrepresented until time has passed. This is why fad products do so well. Uh, my pillow, I don't know if you all have one, but I, I see the my pillow product being one of those fad products, right? You can buy it for 20 bucks. And so I don't know how many of you bought one and then decided you didn't like it, but that was me. And, <laughs> and, and so it, I don't see it being sold quite as frequently or advertised quite as often as it used to be, right? So there's something that is over time maybe not proven to be what it was stated to be. Talking about things that are um, not necessarily what they're stated to be, in, in my world uh, there are times when um, uh, an individual will be passed from company to company or agency to agency, and they're really not what they seem to be. They are um, the person that when you call for a reference check, the person on the other end of the phone says, you will indeed be lucky if you get this person to work for you. Now that can be taken a couple of different ways. Um, but we, what we find is that that person is maybe not the best employee and the person that is possibly going to lose them is not sad about losing them. So they're, they're going ahead and they're, they're moving them to another company, another agency, another area, and it doesn't come to light until down the road that the lies that they told to get to where they were are now impacting you, um, which is why a thorough reference check, a thorough background check, looking at performance evaluations, calling colleagues, finding out, am I really going to be lucky if this person works for me, or am I going to be really lucky if this person works for me? And we, we talked 
amongst some of ourselves before the discussion started uh, about the fact that we've seen this phenomenon here locally, people in actually fairly prominent positions being caught and, and actually found guilty of things like embezzlement. We wonder how do people think they're going to get away with it when it is relatively easy to track transactions and to reconstruct a paper and digital trail of these things. Uh, and, and Dr. Allen, you, you were talking about the fact that one of the reasons these things happen is because when when someone does something uh, in in one setting, people sort of clam up. They want to cover it up. Just you know, ignore that it happened, avoid the embarrassment, and pass the problem on to somebody else. Absolutely, and the reputation of a business or organization is really important. Um, we just I was had an opportunity to talk about this on uh, Channel Twenty not too long ago, and it was a case where it's kind of related but different. But it, it follows the theme of protecting the reputation of your business or organization. So in this case, it was a third-party person that posted something like a Google photo set of someone wearing a swastika and a you know a Hitler uniform and they tagged the photo to a high school it was Mount Zion High I don't know if you saw the story in the news and so Mount Zion High was like what what do we do um, someone has affiliated us with this photo what do we do and so it made the news which is not what they wanted and the point was that they needed to have someone that's gleaning, you know, now Google Photos and checking social media to make sure that the reputation of that organization is being uh, held. Same thing here. When you have someone internally who's embezzling money, um, the first thing you want to do is get rid of them. But you don't want it to be a media frenzy because that makes you look irresponsible. It goes back to your point. Um, I don't want to confess when I've made a mistake. So a, an organization with a lot of stake, uh, stockholders is going to want to protect themselves too. Um, and so that's why we see white-collar criminals kind of hopping from place to place and getting away with it. Um, I have to say that the folks that tend to bounce back the best from criminal activity or at least um, issues that make the news are politicians, you know, because people forget and for some reason they tend to bounce back and they run for another office and, uh, well, they're, that person's a good guy or gal. I'll vote for them again, whatever. It just amazes me. We've focused, understandably, it was the uh, the whole basis of the uh, event this evening on these big and little lies that we tell each other. I'd like to offer a hypothesis without any real evidence at hand, but tell me if you think I'm on the right track, that most of our interactions with each other are actually truthful. They're honest in our daily dealings with friends, coworkers, loved ones, even in our interactions with our elected officials in the news media. Most of what we're getting and giving is actually based in truth. Uh, but we do still have this emphasis these days on the amount of disinformation, the amount of deceit that is out there. Uh, so does this become sort of a self-fulfilling prophecy? We, we think so much about this. We hear so much about fake news. We hear so much about politicians lying to us that that's starting to become our default position now, and we're ignoring the fact that by and large, we are generally pretty truthful to one another. I think so. I mean, especially with like social media, right? Everyone's putting the best of the best of themselves out there and they're editing in it. And so you, it's really hard to get a sense of who the truth or what the truth is about our world and our society and especially the people that are on the other side of that screen. Um, but you're absolutely right. I mean, most time, most days, most interactions, we are having honest and frank conversations with one another. Um, and I think people can lose sight of that, um, especially when 
lying, especially given our president, right? It has become such a national topic that we're constantly being barraged with that I think absolutely. And oversharing isn't honesty either. And I think that that's also with social media, that's a lot of that. It's like we're oversharing our lives and that doesn't mean that we're being honest necessarily. Um, so I think it is hard to sift through our day-to-day -day interactions and constantly go, are those real clouds or are those fake clouds? I mean, there's just so much stuff that you can get caught up in. And that's why I really do encourage any, everybody, if you can focus on honesty, you're gonna see it more and more in your lives versus the lying. I'd have to agree with that. I mean, we don't want to live in a life of discouragement. I'll tell you one advantage of social media that works really well. I don't know if, how many of you have been to, say, your high school or college reunions. But I will tell you that when I go, I don't have to waste a lot of time talking to my friends about all of their family situations because I've been following them on Facebook. It's kind of changed uh, and accelerated our ability to have a quicker conversation. We don't have to do the background check now because we've been following pictures of our kids and our dogs and our cats and everything everybody else for the whole and the food oh my gosh the food um, but I, that's an advantage right and so I'm gonna have trust that the friends that I have on Facebook are showing the truths of their lives through their pictures through their videos and through their emotions also lots of different ways to check what's reality and what's not I think for the most part when we interact with one another we're truthful but we look for fun and interesting things in lives to entertain us. If we watch movies, if we watched a show with drama about everybody telling the truth, you would be bored. So we look for those things in the media, the distruths, mistruths, because it's juicy, it's entertaining. If we went there and said the president was on the news today and he told the truth, everybody's gonna be like, all right, all right, what, what else is on? Okay. Ah, this politician lied. Okay, now we got something. Turn the volume up, right? But when we talk to each other, for the most part, we're honest and truthful. I live in a different world where people have a reason for not being honest because they have to protect themselves from something. Usually it's punishment or whatnot. Um, but interaction with people, with the courts, with the, my fellow coworkers, with the general public, I'm very honest. I'm the police officer that if you, I've been doing this long enough, if you ask me a question, I'm going to give you the honest answer. I'm not going to give you a political answer. I'm going to tell you the truth. Oftentimes people don't like it because it's not what they wanted to hear, but I will be very frank with you. So if you have any questions you ever wanted to ask, if uh, if you want to write them down, feel free. We might be in here a while. Or you just walked into our next question, by or, the way. I'm, uh, I'm okay with that because I will tell you the truth, and I'm not afraid to tell the truth at this point in my life because what I have to lose at this point, right? I have to challenge you on one point, though. Sure. The movie Liar, Liar with Jim Carrey, where he has to tell the truth for a whole day, is a very entertaining movie. So It is. Okay. Um, to to the, your point about how you'll give a, a straightforward answer on this, a question about what are your beliefs, specifically to you, and opinions on the legality of state, federal, and municipal use of stingray surveillance devices where mass data and personal info is collected on a mass scale without public knowledge. If you could perhaps explain what that is and is it being utilized and what are the ramifications? So people, how come it's okay when Google does it? Ask yourself that same question. You still use Google services, right? And it's okay and you're actually agreeing to it. I think some of that is okay to a point to where most of the information they're collecting, are they using it against us? I'm telling you, NSA could care less what your fetishes are. <laughs> I can tell you that right now. They could care less. But if you 
mention something that's going to harm our country or society as a whole, we have to look at the bigger picture. We as a society, we talked about our ancestors being more honest. They spied just as much as we did. They just had different techniques. But for the most part, there's a reason why we haven't had many major terrorist incidents on our soil in all the years we've been in existence. Sometimes we have to do things to protect ourselves as a society. Do I want all my information out there? No, not necessarily. Can I do my, my best to limit that? You can by some of the services you use. Are some of your stuff being captured? Like she said, you're agreeing to it on Facebook. Everybody's like, Facebook's doing that. We're not agreeing to it. I, yes, you did. When you agreed to use Facebook's free services, you agreed to everything they said. When you agree to use these services, you're agreeing to the same thing. Stingray is just a company and a technology that can collect things that are out there. But everybody seems to think they're secure. When you send something from your device out there, you're sending it out there. You're hoping it's secure, but you're sending it out there. No one's making you send your information out there, right? How do I feel about it? If it helps our country continue to be safe and secure, I'm 100% fine with it. I will give you all my information, all my private secrets. Um, there's a distinction to make, too, um, in that you know we are providing this information. I don't know how much you know, but I'm going to be straight honest with you about this, too. The Google Photos that you take, if you upload them to the cloud, which is where they're being stored on a Google server, not in the cloud, people, not in the cloud. Okay, that's a myth. Okay, it's actually on a physical device, not in the air. Uh, it has to get in the air and then to the physical device. In any case, uh, I was kind of shocked when I uh, did my Google Photos search, and you can now do what's called a tracking feature. And if you do that, it will show all the photos you took and the locations where you took them. <gasps> it's amazing. Um, and I was shocked and also amazed all at the same time because my life really can be tracked for the last 10 years. There's no question about that. Am I okay with that? Yeah, I haven't committed any crimes. I'm good. Um, so that information's out there. What the difference there is if government is using that information illegally, right? So illegal means they're just scanning you at, at willy-nilly with no legal justification. If they have a warrant, that's different, okay? Now another situation is with Facebook. And Facebook has all this information and they hire a company like Cambridge Analytica to target a group of people like the purple voters in the United States and say, hey, we want to sway them. That's not cool right? That's big data and that is a corrupt use of big data because we're targeting a particular group of demographics and we're trying to sway viewpoints and change a political election. This is all factual. Everything I'm telling you is Cambridge Analytica. Is, it's been documented by the folks that work there, okay? That is unethical and that's what we're dealing with today. Are there laws against it? No. Again, our technology can't, it's moving faster than the laws that protect us from those technologies. Panelists, we are nearly out of time, and I'd like to afford each of you an opportunity for just a, a final closing thought this evening. We've covered a lot of ground here, and if there's anything that you think we haven't gotten to or something you think is important to reiterate, this would be your last chance to do so. I'd like to begin with Siobhan Johnson. Thank you, Jim. Uh, I guess the closing thoughts for me would be it's much easier in the long run to be honest and to be respectfully blunt if you need to talk to somebody about something. If you're an employer, if you're a supervisor, um, your, your responsibilities are to the organization to which you work, with which you work. 
and keeping everybody in sight of the vision and the mission of the organization and the individuals that are being served by that. And that goes for whether it's a hospital system t caring for the patients, whether it's a not-for-profit providing supplies to 501c3 organizations or a corporation or the state. We all have a reason for being there and the best way that we can achieve what we're there to achieve is just being honest. I, I received the, the moniker of the evil positive one almost 19 years ago because I tend to look for the positive, I tend to look for the honesty and the truth and that's what I think we would be better off all looking for, just focusing on the positive things rather than the negative. Not being Pollyanna, uh, but just being honest with each other and with ourselves. And that may be one of the hardest things to do is be honest with yourself. Thank you. Detective Shane Overby. I think probably to sum it up, the best thing that was set up here is use common sense. So what is common sense for you? When you're experiencing something and it doesn't feel right, some people just keep doing the wrong thing anyway. Well, I'll just do it anyway. Trust yourself. Be honest with yourself. Something doesn't feel right. When something happens where you think that you could be a victim or potentially be a victim, so many people say, well, I kind of felt this way, but I did it anyway. Use common sense and trust yourself. That tingly feeling you get in those hairs in the back of your neck stand up, there's a reason that happens. That happens because you are telling yourself something's not right. Trust yourself. Be honest. And here's the thing, if you don't know, guess what? We have a whole whole search engine called Google that you can look it up. Because if it happened to somebody else, I promise you they'll complain about it on Google. So search it. Like she said, fact check your information. That's a good way to keep yourself safe. Uh, the facts, the news stories that you read, you can, you can Google those. Uh, scams, you can check them. If you're not sure something doesn't feel right, check them. And most of all, for the most part, most people are good. Most people are inherently good. Nobody is born evil. Nobody is inherently evil. People make bad choices that lead to more bad choices, but that doesn't mean they're bad people. And that's very hard for me to say, investigating sex crimes and child sex crimes. I see some very bad things. But people in general are good. When you have those face-to-face -face conversations, it's hard to hurt someone else. So do your best to say hello to somebody, make eye contact. Meet a stranger every day if you can and make a smile because that makes you more human and it makes you more trusting and it makes life better for you in general. And if you're not sure, Google it. <laughs> Dr. Carmen Allen. Google it. Uh, no, oh, two things, just very briefly. Number one, you're doing the right thing by being here. So first of all, since I'm in the field of education, educate yourself. Okay, just as you're a lifelong learner, you wouldn't be sitting here if you weren't. I agree. Google it. Uh, be careful what you read. Um, there's always pros and cons to stories, you know, both sides. But just get information. The second thing, and I'm going to echo a, a little of what was being said here by Shane, and that is when you're being persuaded to do something, not just if it's a gut feeling, but if you're being persuaded to do something by a third party, it doesn't feel right. Right, stop. Just stop what you're doing and start asking questions from other people. Find out if this kind of thing happens with other people or Google it. You don't want people asking whenever there's money that's involved, when there's it's kind of a freaky phone call. You can't quite understand what they're saying. There's a reason for that. Okay, just again, when you feel like you're being swayed, just stop. This population is very vulnerable. And and that's and I've seen some very bad things happen, people losing their savings. 
over it, and that needs to stop. So continue to be educated. Thank you so much for having me here, too. Appreciate it. And finally, Dr. Bethany Bloom. Um, I just want to say thanks as well for being here. It's been an honor to talk to all of you. Um, and I just kind of want to reiterate things you've all have said is we make mistakes. We're human, right? So have compassion for one another um, and make those connections. That's how you build trust is when you have connections with people in your everyday lives. And I think that's going to give you the best sense if people are being honest with you. Stay focused on honesty, and that's what you're going to find around you. Please join me in a round of applause for our panelists this evening. And again, thanks to all of you for your attendance, for your attentiveness, and for your excellent questions tonight. Please join us at this uh, very venue again on November 20th for the third and final part of this series, where we'll have a panel of journalists here to talk about these issues as they relate to journalism and information gathering. Fina, anything else you would uh, care to add this evening? Thank you all so much for being here. Have a great evening.